Welcome back again. This is Kelly Gregg, G-R-E-G-G -G of kellygregg.com and of Amazon fame, welcoming you to podcast number nine in this series, Diet and Health. Remember, this is the condensed version of the book, Diet and Health, which I'm trying to get you to purchase. Today, we'll start off with past diets. Now, the concept of diets has only been an issue in the past hundred years or so. A few hundred years ago, I doubt if there are very many diet books, and those that were present were concerned with what to eat rather than trying to lose weight. Of course, now you can't walk down the street without tripping over a diet book. Wait, let's go back a few thousand years, and there was actually a written history. Egyptians had the world's first major empire and kept pretty good records. Um, they also had pictures. The Bible also has an historical record going back that far. And about 2,500 years ago, uh, numerous cultures began developing their own written records. I, of course, have not studied the Chinese written records, the Indian records, I simply don't speak those languages. I do think we can all agree that in order to have science and government, you must have enough extra food to feed people in a city. Hence, when you look back, it appears there was plenty of food available over the last few thousand years. Of course, dietary history is skewed because unless you had an abundance of food, you did not have a big civilization or cities and you probably did not have much of a written record. We recognize that even during the Egyptian Empire, there were people scattered all over the world. Most of them kept an oral tradition, so there's really not a lot of written history from other countries. From what records we have, and using our common sense, I think we can reasonably determine that mankind was not in a state of near starvation. And in fact, Famines appear to be relatively rare. Decreased food supply was usually related to war or other government events, although there were probably some climactic events that decreased the food supply dramatically for a few years. This makes some sense, as if you were in a location or world where there was not enough food, you went somewhere else. There are certainly records of commerce several thousand years ago where food was sold. This is important as a farmer then has the motivation to grow more food than he needs and be able to trade the extra food for something else. We recognize now, and they did in the past, that a farmer can actually produce much more food than his family can eat. Therefore, the capitalistic system generally results in a plentiful food supply. Using some data and common sense, it appears food was much more regional. With the advent of effective food storage and transportation, there became a more widespread diet. Now, food has been dried and salted and smoked for several thousand years. Crops and fruits are only ripened certain times of the year. Even keeping animals requires that fodder must be available in the winter. Even if you live by the ocean, there was still a seasonal aspect to the availability of fresh food. It turns out the easiest types of food to store are starches. Grains, root vegetables, tubers, pumpkin, squash, 
can be kept in the appropriate environment for months. Dried fruit has also long been stored for times of scarcity. As you can imagine, meat and fats are more difficult to store for several months. And it does appear that mankind enjoyed eating fat. Of course, this is the most difficult type of food to preserve. Hence, during lean times like winter, or perhaps among the poorer folk, the diet was heavy on carbohydrates. Now, grains, especially wheat, does provide some protein and fat and are amenable to long-term storage. Grain can also be fed to animals during the winter and hence enable protein storage on the hoof. For the most part in the last few thousand years, although there appear to be plenty of food, the diet of most people during scarcity was heavy on carbohydrates. This was not a low-carbohydrate diet, and there was plenty of food, so how come there was not an obesity epidemic? Your body is quite complex and can adapt to almost any diet and keep you healthy. And now we have to go into my definition of health, which is the to be able to work, to be able to function in normal life, to be able to enjoy life, and to be content. There have been many definitions of health over the years, mainly revolving around your length of life. In the past few thousand years, that may have been a quite reasonable definition. But nowadays, we have extended life a little, but we certainly have not extended the ability to function later in life any. In fact, the opposite. There are more disabled people as they get older now than there was in earlier times. Let's go back to the Egyptians a little. This was the first very large civilization for which we have a good historical record. And for the most part, this is all due to the extensive fertility of the Nile Valley. This valley has been responsible for producing wheat for a large portion of the world in that area for thousands of years. In fact, even to this present day. Now, civilization requires a government, and for the most part, this was led by some type of king. No matter who the leader is, there is an army of minions to enforce the law. At this time, mankind's diet was based upon where you lived. If you could not grow your food, harvest enough natural growth, use the oceans and lakes as a source of calories, or harvest wild game, you simply move somewhere where you could. This led to the congregation of people in certain areas of the land. Early on, food preservation was explored and developed. Naturally, food is not always around. The seasons change, and at certain times of the year, no food is readily available. It did not take long to figure out that plant products were easier to preserve than animal products. At times of plenty, you had to save for times of scarcity. Grains, especially wheat, developed to be the most productive food that could be preserved for years. Egypt was able to store seven years worth of food and then able to sell the excess food to the neighboring countries during a seven-year famine. As excess food became available, people were able to eat without having to obtain their own food and government officials, scientists, craftsmen, and such could exist on the food grown by others. This produced civilization and enhanced the capitalistic system. Uh, the point is, 
more food can be produced and preserved than the people in that land could eat. For the most part in recorded history, there was plenty to eat, both in grains, dairy, and meat products. Fruit was generally not available except a few months a year, unless it was in a dried form. Although food was available, it was generally eaten at mealtimes. Of course, now I'm talking about the common man. If you were the king of Egypt, you could do whatever you want and eat ostrich tongues every day if you wanted to. But for the common man, food was generally eaten at mealtimes. The natural rhythm of man appeared to be that meals were eaten after sunrise and at sunset. Artificial lighting, that being fire for the most part, used fuel which was not to be wasted, and hence it was not common to burn the midnight oil. I mean, you used that oil in cooking, you used it for to prepare various substances, you really didn't want to waste it just to have light so you could eat a snack at 10 o'clock at night. As I discussed before, the concept of lunch is only been in the last couple hundred years. Then oil, gas, and later electricity became cheap enough that we could work after sundown by using these fuels to provide light. Then it just became too long between sunup and sundown to last, so you had to eat in between. Now man was eating three times a day, and of course now we're eating six to eight times a day. Still, we don't have a good explanation for the current obesity and type 2 diabetes epidemic. Surplus food has been available in the United States for at least 300 years. And even during the Depression, when food was somewhat scarce, people were not starving to death, at least not very many. People were eating a high-carbohydrate diet. Still, no rising rate of obesity or type 2 diabetes until about the last 180 years. I'll give you a hint. It was the food itself, among other things, that has changed. Now, some have opined that it's not the amount of food available, but rather that people are getting less exercise, and that's why 40% of them are getting fat. Now, this is a little more difficult to quantitate in history. But most of us will agree that there were more jobs regarding manual labor, there was not a car to drive around and you were walking more, and if you wanted to wash clothes, you had to go down to the river and not just toss it into the washing machine. That may be somewhat true, but I still don't think it explains our 40% obesity. We know that there is a booming expansion of exercise centers, exercise equipment, fitness centers, to counter this argument. In fact, you can explore your own life and see that you may not get a lot of exercise at work, but you still are involved in numerous sports or exercise activities. And remember, the number of excess calories expended during normal exercise is a small percent of your total caloric expenditure. Even exercising uh, several hours a day extra will only increase your caloric expenditure in a range of 10 to 15 percent. And hardly anybody with a real job can afford to spend several hours a day exercising. Remember, you have to go to the place, you have to take a shower, you have to exercise, you have to come home, and after that, you may be too tired to do your normal activities. I simply do not think this generation has become 
more slothful compared to those one or two hundred years ago, such that now there is this obesity epidemic. Let's examine a little where we are in the last fifty years or so. Look at your own life. For the first twenty-five or thirty years of your life, you essentially ate when you were hungry. Now, children naturally eat more during growth, and somewhat less when they are not growing. As a young adult, you ate when you were hungry, and this was primarily depending upon how much work you did that day, and you really didn't eat that much when you weren't hungry. Despite not counting anything or even paying much attention, you were able to stay within a couple pounds year after year. As you started gaining weight, and I'm going to quit saying that, as you started getting fat, not just gaining weight, if you were gaining weight because you were gaining muscle, you would not be listening to this podcast. You may have acknowledged that this approach to eating was not working very well. And then most people would then start to watch what they eat. When this didn't work, they said, "Uh, well, maybe I need to exercise a little more. When this didn't work, they went on some type of diet. When this didn't work after numerous attempts, then they are going to listen to this podcast or buy my book. This brings up an obvious question. Why didn't it work? It seems to be obvious that if you exercise and eat less, you must lose weight. There must be some type of law of thermodynamics that makes this have to occur. I bet you know the answer to that. People got hungry when they started doing this. For the most part, people do not like to be hungry. And this may lead us to eating numerous times a day. Breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, snack, sometimes midnight. All because we feel hungry. I'm going to address hunger at length, uh, especially in the fasting chapters or podcast. But there is a reason we're getting hungry. Remember, people used to eat when they got hungry and not get obese. Now we still eat when we get hungry, except we are getting obese. Some of this may be ascribed to the power of advertising, especially between sundown and midnight, when we're watching TV and realize, man, I am hungry for a piece of pizza. I doubt if most of history people had that problem. Is our problem just a loss of willpower? Have at least 40% of Americans developed a loss of willpower? You would think so, because if you go to your physician, he will tell you to eat less and exercise more. And if you don't, well, it's obvious, you just don't have enough willpower. Let's look at history for just a moment. The days of our years are three score and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. This is Psalm 90.10 and was written about 3,400 years ago. Life expectancy for men age 50 years is 25 and a half years. This statistic was written in 2018. The diet about 4,000 years ago enabled people to live to be approximately 80, just like the diet in 2018. The difference is the people 4,000 years ago were healthier than the people in 2018. There's no doubt that our modern medical science has performed 
what seemingly are miracles to allow people to live longer. But they have not allowed people to be healthier, even using my definition. I am also pretty sure the people 4,000 years ago did not have a 40% incidence of obesity, prediabetes, and diabetes. The point is, our body worked great as far as diet is concerned for recorded history. It can adapt to low-carbohydrate, high-carbohydrate, low-protein, high-protein, high-calorie, low-calorie, fasting, and even starvation to keep you alive and healthy. What is the difference with the modern diet? We tend to discount those who lived long ago as though they were not nearly as smart as we are now. We change our diets based on current scientific thought. We conveniently forget how often this has been wrong. We discount a thousand years of trial and error proving what works over the long haul. What do we actually learn from history of diet? Well, it was probably not low carbohydrate. It was probably not based on recurrent episodes of starvation. It was probably based upon what was available and what could be stored. For the most part, there was probably a lot of food. It also appeared that people liked variety in their diet and went through a lot of trouble getting different spices, growing different crops, and getting different foods from different lands. Sweets were desired then as they are now, and this mainly revolved around fruits where the sugars were bound to fiber. Honey was available and highly desirable, both as a preservative and a sweetener. It ends up almost nobody was eating sucrose till about a thousand years ago, and then not very much. Okay, now you're going to be saying to yourself, is this guy really advocating a high-carbohydrate diet? I mean, I'm not very smart, but even I don't think eating donuts every day is a good diet. Well, no, I don't advocate eating donuts every day either. But I do think the food has changed such that we cannot eat as high a carbohydrate diet as has been present in most of history without becoming obese. In fact, we've already tried to eat a high carbohydrate for 70 years, that being the low-fat diet. Remember, low-fat means high-carb, because more than about a third of your diet in protein does not make you feel very well. We tried the low-fat diet because of all those smart scientists telling us how good it was for us, and it turned out it was the exact opposite. So no, I'm not going to advocate a high-carbohydrate diet. But as you will see as we progress along, carbohydrates are not evil. It's simply that the modern diet and modern food and the way we eat is going to necessitate our eating a lower-carbohydrate diet than was historically eaten. I'm going to end up with the maintenance diet for the common man. And this is going to be the diet I advise for people who do not currently have obesity, insulin resistance, prediabetes, or diabetes. If you do have one of those conditions, you'll eventually going to have to go on a different maintenance diet. And that different maintenance diet is going to necessitate fewer carbohydrates than the common maintenance diet. That's not going to be terrible. You still eat plenty of food and plenty of variety of food with the lower carbohydrate common maintenance diet, but you definitely are going to have to change your diet. Now, at this point, I'm going to give you a disclaimer. If you are starving, and few people are actually starving, but if you are, you eat whatever you can get. 
If necessary, you just eat donuts five times a day. I'm not saying it's going to be that healthy, but your body is amazingly adaptable and you will be able to live eating that. In fact, if you are starving, you may, may well be able to eat a very high carbohydrate diet without getting any obesity or even insulin resistance. If you are a child, you need calories, and that's the most important fact. It's better to eat a healthy diet, but no matter what, you need food. So at that point, I don't care what kind of food you're eating as long as you're getting calories in. Now, for 99% of it, that's not never an issue. We always have plenty of availability of calories. And then if you eat donuts every day, you will develop insulin resistance. I'll talk later about a man who did not eat anything for over a year. At the end of that time, he appeared to be in good physical condition. Of course, he was two or three hundred pounds overweight when he started out, but nevertheless, he was able to survive just fine not eating any calories because he had plenty of stored calories. If you don't have plenty of stored calories, that's a completely different situation. And I advise you to go around and find any food you can and eat it. All right, so this is a continuing story of food and health. And remember the commercial, I'm trying to sell my books on Amazon. So uh, you can go to the website to get a link or just go to Amazon. And uh, you can buy a bunch of my books there. The book Food and Health is the big one where I've combined the previous five. But uh, yes, I would rather you just buy all five books individually and I'll make a lot more money. Unfortunately, I still just like to help people, so it's cheaper just to buy the one big book. We've still got a long way to go in the actual fun subjects, such as autophagy, fasting, the components of the modern diet, are still to come. And remember, those of you who are obese, there will be the ketogenic diet. You can find information on that almost anywhere, and there are about 10,000 cookbooks. But I'm going to explain it anyway in my own way, because like virtually everyone has discovered, this does appear to be the most efficacious diet to lose fat, as opposed to what I consider the almost worst diet to lose fat, that being the eat less, exercise more diet, as opposed to what I consider the most unhealthy diet, that being the low-fat diet. I say the most unhealthy diet, the most unhealthy common diet. I'm sure the cherry pie diet is more, is more unhealthy than the low-fat diet, but it's close. Next, podcast number 10, a little more about the modern diet.